0: And welcome back to our bi-monthly endoscopy news podcast. This time we're going to talk about anal cancer. I've invited Andrea Albuquerque to give us an update on the topic. She's a specialist in uh, Portugal who actually spent some time in Leeds. And um, it was during one of our presentations on the topic in Leeds that I realized that I think that we've been missing this disease Supposedly, we should, uh, with a caseload of five or 6,000 colonoscopies a year, find a handful every year of early anal cancers and perianal precancers. But I don't think we do that. Um, As usual, we're very grateful to Pentax Medical for supporting our uh, podcasts. So thanks, Andrea, for taking your time to uh, have a chat about anal cancer. You work in Portugal, don't you? You're, you are Portuguese, after all.
1: I am. I, I did come back to Portugal. Now I'm working in uh, Lisbon.
0: And um, you recently written a, a review article on anal cancer in uh, Lancet Gastroenterology and Hepatology. You got the whole of the GI tract to choose from, but you've homed in on the last inch of the GI tract. What made you interested in anal cancer?
1: So when I finished my my specialty, I got to run the proctology uh, service from gastro. And then we got a lot of high-risk patients, mainly HIV-positive patients, that were sent to the proctology department for assessment of the anal canal, some of them with anal condylomas and
0: all that. And Portugal is unusual, then, that these patients go for screening by the gastroenterologists.
1: I think it's very similar in Portugal and, like, for instance, in France or Belgium, Gastroenterologists do a lot of proctology work, like mainly diagnostic proctology, but some some of Portuguese or French um, gastroenterologists also, also do some therapeutic proctology, like setons or all that in fissures. And, and that's why I, I got to, to know this this field and develop this field and, and to work on this.
0: As an endoscopist, you get used to tuning your eyes into squamous here because we're always at the lookout for it in the upper GI tract on extubation i always put on nbi or image enhancement so it's easier to find neoplastic lesions on extubation at colonoscopy we always retrovert don't we so we are in a good position to do kind of at least opportunistic screening anywhere in the world for anal cancer
1: uh, endoscopists will encounter these patients in their endoscopy lists because Uh, You know, high-risk patients like HIV, transplant recipients, IBD patients who come for colonoscopy for any other reason, and you might find a suspicious lesion of anal cancer or anal precancerous lesions while you're doing your colonoscopy for any other reason or if you don't do a very careful uh, digital and erectile uh, examination. That's really important in, those, in this type of patients.
0: You mentioned patients with HIV. That's, that's the obvious group where we should pay particular attention, I guess. But are there any other patient groups?
1: Uh, there are several high-risk groups that have been identified for anal cancer and anal-precancers lesions. One most important one is HIV-positive patients, especially the ones that are men who have sex with men, and age also plays an important role in this group. So uh, patients that have more, more than 30 years old who have a, a higher risk. So just to let you know, anal cancer is rare in the in the general population. So the incidence rate is around 1.9 per uh, 100,000 persons a year. But in HIV-positive patients, especially the MSM, the incidence rate is around 85 per 100,000 um, patients a year. It's one of the most common non-AIDS-defining cancers.
0: I was wondering how often we would come across a patient with anal cancer presenting for a colonoscopy for any reason, really. And uh, looking through the literature, there was a study by um, Gomez, Endoscopy International Open, in 2019, And I think that was a prospective study of random patients turning up for colonoscopy and they found four of these precancerous lesions and two squamous cell carcinomas, which puts the risk of a patient having an anal uh, neoplastic lesion at about one in 2000. So we should really have two or three of these patients every year in Leeds.
1: This was not a study for the high-risk population. I don't know how careful was the retroflexion and if they use acetic acid or NBI or Lugol to look for that specifically. Because probably if they had used or had a specific agency, just look at that, they would have had a much higher rate of detection, I suppose.
0: I think one in 2,000 cases is is certainly more than I've found. It makes me wonder how many I've missed.
1: That's why I think the first step is to be aware which are the high-risk groups, because, as I say, uh, anal cancer is rare in the normal population. But, uh, as I was saying, HIV positive do increase the rate of having a persistent anal HPV infection, and that is the problem, is not having HPV infection, it's having persistent HPV infection. So, transplant recipients, and now we know, especially women, more than 10 years of transplant, if they are on as a dioprene, and if they have a lung or renal um, um, organ transplanted. Then you have women that had genital neoplasia, like women that have cervical cancer, pelvic cancer, vaginal cancer, or HPV-driven, and of course they have a higher risk on also having anal HPV-driven cancer. Uh, Recent meta analysis also showed that patients with lupus and also IBD
0: patients, and what drives it then? Is it acythioprine?
1: So perianal disease might be a factor for this. And of course, the, the immunosuppression. For uh, ulcerative colitis, uh, data has been conflicting, but most studies show that ulcerative colitis patients do not seem to have an increased risk of, of anal cancer.
0: I was wondering about indications. Imagine anal pain, for example, would be something where you'd be foolish not to have a really, really good examination of the, of the anus. Would a patient with anal cancer present with a positive fit test, do you think?
1: 45% of the patients with anal cancer present with rectal bleeding. There is also pain, of course, and a sensation of anal mass. So these are the tra- three main symptoms. But rectal bleeding is the, the most important one. And also, of course, there are other things like itching, discharge, fecal incontinence. In some advanced cases, patients can also present with fistulas.
0: And what should we then do? The patient turns out for colonoscopy. Uh, we mentioned that we should take care to retrovert in the rectum. Uh, and how about the the ANL examination? Any, what should we look for?
1: Do, do a good inspection of the perianal area before you put your finger. And then don't dismiss any nodule um, on mass you might find in, in these patients. So what's been proved is that the good digital and examination examinations might help you find early anal cancer that's smaller than three millimeters. So be careful with the high-risk groups, really careful with the G- digital and examination, and always in these cases, always, but especially in these cases, perform a retroflexion. So most of the cases do occur in the schemocolonar junction, where the rectum and the anal epithelium come together.
0: And if we find something which looks a bit strange at that thin transitional zone between the anal squamous mucosa and the columnar rectal mucosa, do we spray, I mean, in the the esophagus, we would spray either lugose or we would spray acetic acid, whatever you prefer. Will we do the same thing here?
1: mainly from data from the high resolution endoscopy, when you see these lesions with a colposcope, is that these the suspicious lesions of anal precancerous lesions are uh, acetyl-whitening positive. So when you put acetic acid, 5% acetic acid, they get they turn white and the, the pattern, they, the suspicious pattern is mosaic or plantation.
0: So I don't quite understand. So, so, we spray dilute acetic acid on the, uh, on the transitional zone uh, at the anal margin, and we look for whitening there, whitening of the squamous mucosa.
1: No, it's aceto-whitening lesions.
0: Lesions which are situated on, on that transitional zone.
1: Most commonly, yes. But as I say, you can have it in the anal canal or in the perianal area, these anal lesions. In NBI, they will look like irregular vessels with dilatation. With the uh, Lugol, th- this has also been used, and in this case, they are Lugol, the high-grade lesions are Lugol negative because they lack glycogen.
0: If we find something unusual looking, with or without Lugol, with or without acetic acid, we'll take a biopsy next, won't we? But that could be painful if you biopsy the, the squamous mucosa. Um. If, you, if you do
1: a biopsy in the schemi art Junction, that will be fine. Of course, if you do a biopsy in the anal canal, in the perianal area, the, it will be painful for the patient.
0: So we identified a funny-looking thing at that at the junction between the squamous mucosa and the column mucosa. We take the example, and then we get the histology back. And what should we look for? That In the GI tract, we used to high and low-grade dysplasia, interbicosal cancer and cancer. But that's not the language they, the pathologists use in this so if you get a report
1: and it says anal cell carcinoma, that's cancer. What you should do is, of course, refer this patient to MDT. The other thing is, it's not cancer, it's not normal, and you got a report saying it's uh, well, it's it's an anal precancerous lesion. So in that case, there are two classifications they have been used. One is a classification that uses the term anal intraepithelial neoplasia. You got AIN. So this is the older classification and normally you get this and then they gave you the grade. They say one, two or three. So one is mild, mild dysplasia, two moderate dysplasia and three severe dysplasia. And what happens is if you get IN1, that's mild dysplasia, it's a low grade lesion. Very low rate of progression is not really relevant. If you got IN3, that's easy. that severe dysplasia is a high grade lesion. If you got IN2... You should ask for another marker. You should ask your, your pathology lab to do P sixteen, mm-hmm. that's an immunostochemical marker. They also do it in the cervix. And if you come back P16 negative, that's low grade. If he comes back P16 positive, it's high grade. So um, this is what you might get in your report. The other option is now, a couple of years ago, they developed a new classification. Classify the lesions as LCL, that's low grade schemas interpretability lesions or just high-grade um, intraperitial lesions, that's HCL. But they are, they, you know, they are together. So IN1, IN2, p 16 negative are low-grade, IN2, 2 p positive, and IN3 are high-grade. So as I say, if it is low-grade. It's a very small risk of progression. It's a low-grade lesions, Nobody normally does anything. You might consider just following the patient up in one year. If it's a high-grade lesion. As I explained, this is not cancer, but is an anal precancerous lesion. Things get a little bit messy there. There are several centers that treat these high-grade lesions because we know, for instance, in HIV-positive MSM, that around one in, in 377 patients will develop cancer in one year time. And there are some other centers that just follow the, place, the patient
0: closely in three or six months. I guess you know it's cancer because you feel a nodule on your on your rectal examination, don't you?
1: Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, when it's cancer, you can normally feel it as long as it's three or more millimeters uh, um, of diameter.
0: Well, I say five millimeters for me. I, I haven't got that sensitive finger.
1: And of course, when you do your retroflexion, normally you see, you know, a, a raised lesion with very re- irregular vessels. Is sometimes spontaneous bleeding. When it's cancer, you know it's cancer, isn't it? But for precancerous lesions, it's more difficult to see because normally they're flat lesions.
0: And these patients, once we've diagnosed a, a squamous cell carcinoma, H, usually, as you say, uh, HPV, is it serotype 16 and 18, isn't it? Which, which is the tumor papilloma viruses, which are particularly mutagenic.
1: Yeah, there are several, there are more than 200 HPV types described but um, there are the low-risk and high-risk oncogen- oncogenic type. More commonly for anal cancer is HPV-16, yes.
0: Presumably their partners are at very high risk of being, having been infected with the same serotype. So is there any screening of partners, sexual partners, in these cases?
1: HIV-positive MSM, uh, more than 90% of them will have anal HPV. In the general population, Infection by HPV is really common. More than 80% of the sexually active population will have HPV in some point of their lives. The question is, most of, of us will, will just eliminate HPV without having any problem because we don't have immunosuppress, whatever. It's the persistence of HPV that causes the problem. And it's more easy to persist if they are, of course, immunosuppressed or have a pharmacological immunosuppression. If the partner is... That doesn't have any problem. Is a healthy person, even if he has HPV, that does not mean much. If he is HIV positive MSM, it's 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 almost obvious that he will have anal HPV. So uh, might not be any benefit at all.
0: This this group, they offered vaccinations, aren't they, for HPV now in the UK? Uh,
1: HPV vaccination has been licensed for men and women up to. 45 years old. And it's shown to be a benefit in the primary prevention of anal cancer as for cervical cancer. Most studies show that anal cancer will continue to increase. The incidence of anal cancer will continue to increase in the next two decades. Data from the UK has shown that HP vaccination will help with anal cancer, probably not in the next 20 years. And that's related to the fact that, you know, anal cancer is, is occurring in more older patients. And they, they never get exposed to vaccination. And of course, there's the question that many countries still only uh, do uh, vaccination for for little girls, for girls, and then of course you don't get the protection in, in in the MSM population. So I think there's still these questions regarding anal cancer, and we might not not see a benefit from the vaccination in the next
0: years. Um. So you said that the the incidence of uh, anal cancer is going up and will continue to go up for another 20 years.
1: That's some data projection that was published for the UK and also for some Australian studies. Several things have been associated with this, increasing the HIV, MSM population, more sexual partners, probably more anal sex. But, you know, the transplant population is also increasing. So there are several things that might be associated with this.
0: And... You mentioned that France, Belgium, and Portugal you're involved in screening patients with of high risk of anal cancer for the disease, uh, but you're not involved in treatment, are you?
1: For high grade lesions, uh, I tend to treat the patients.
0: Um... When you say high grade lesions, you mean this is this is severe dysplasia essentially. It's not cancer. It's severe dysplasia. It's precancerous.
1: Thank you, Bujaan, for making that clear. Uh, we should not treat. Any anal cancer patient. So anal cancer patients are for an MDT and it's for chemioradiotherapy as, as gold standard. So this is not cancer patients. These are patients that have HCL, so they have a high-grade lesion. They have anal precancer, but it's not cancer, of course. Um, there are more than, as far as I, last time I counted, it was more than 10 type of treatments described for anal HCL that means that none of them is really good. The problem with treating anal HCL is that the the recurrence is very high because you're not, it's not like in the cervix, you know, in the cervix, you you just take that thing off and that's done. In the anal canal, you cannot do that. And the HPV, if you treat it, the HPV will still be there. And then the, the, you know, that's always the probability of he gets recurrence. So the recurrence rate of HCL is high with most of the treatments.
0: And it's not that unusual, as you say, that Gomer study, one in 2,000 patients, of random patients, they're not selected HIV patients or anything, just random, ordinary patients coming through for a colonoscopy, one in 2,000 can be expected to have a, a, a neoplastic lesion at the anal margin. That's, that's frighteningly high.
1: But we did a meta-analysis on transplant recipients, and you know, it's five percent of the transplant recipients that have high-grade anal hybrid high lesions. You're doing a retroflexion. Why don't you want to look to that part too?
0: No, I absolutely agree. We certainly should. And you know, the one of the latest thing in endoscopy is to look for post-colonoscopy colorectal cancer. Now, anal cancer is not yet part of that audit, but they are watching it apparently. That could be something for the future where post colonoscopy anal cancer is something which is flagged as a key performance improvement target.
1: There are so many open questions here.
0: Well, thanks a lot, Andrea. Any, anything that makes me a little bit more paranoid, it's something that makes me a better endoscopist. And I will certainly pay much more attention to that retroversion. And instead of just looking on the columnar side for a polyp or a flat polyp or a cancer at the inner margin, I will actually pull the scope up a bit closer to that transitional zone to have a more careful look for for funny things happening there. And as you say, profiling patients, a patient with HIV, transplant patients, uh, Crohn's patients, a lady who has had a cervical cancer, these are all high-risk cases, aren't they? And, and it's irresponsible not to really have a good look.
1: Uh, if people want to know more about this and want to be updated on this, there's a Facebook page called Updated on AIN. And it's a Facebook page that has you know, articles and, um, and podcasts also, and it provides information on um, on this, on anal precancerous lesions and anal neoplasia.
0: Excellent. Thanks a lot, Andrea, for taking the time out to have a chat about anal cancer with me. A topic which we should no longer neglect, because it's so easy to find these lesions. As you say, if you look for them, you'll find them.
1: Thank you, Bjorn. It's been a pleasure to to discuss this and promote awareness on this topic.
0: And thanks again to Pentax Medical for sponsoring our uh, bi-monthly endoscopy news podcasts. And that concludes today's podcast. And I look forward to catching up with you again in a couple of weeks time. Bye for now.